Hey there, listeners. Kevin dropping in again to let you know that this week we have another coronavirus bonus episode from our book review of Dinesh D'Souza's The Big Lie, exposing the Nazi roots of the American left. This week we're bringing you chapters 5 and 6 from that book review for your enjoyment, and we hope that you are staying safe and well as long as this crisis continues and long as the virus is around. Until this is all gone, remember, stay safe, stay home, and wash your hands. And if you want more of us, remember to follow us on Twitter at NYGBCPod and on Facebook at NYGBCPod. You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello, patron, and welcome to this week's patron-only bonus episode of This Week in News with Kevin and Benedict. My name is Kevin. And my name is Benedict, but you know that already. I just, I, I feel like I just did it all out of, like, with a weird cadence there. I don't know yeah, why I did that. my name is Kevin. That's <laughs> not how I usually do it Some at all. Some John Mulaney cadence. So <laughs> I'm just thrown up. I'm thrown I was <laughs> sick all last week. I had this terrible cold. And I spent the last week with my parents, which is why all you guys are getting this episode a few days late on Saturday rather than on Thursday, which is when I normally release the patron-only bonus episodes. But I went to Sacramento to visit my parents all week and was working for them and doing some stuff. But this week, we are giving you what you all have been waiting for. And I know because I know the reason we got a few new patrons this week is because you all wanted to hear this. Mm -hmm. Chapter 5 of Dinesh Just News... (laughs) Dinesh just snoozes. That's right. That, that, oh, man. that perfectly describes If I meant chapter. to make that pun, it would be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> chapter 5 of Dinesh Souza's book, The Big Lie, Exposing the Nazi Roots of the American Left. And this chapter, I gotta say, honestly, probably, we said last chapter was the worst chapter we've read so far, but this one, again, the worst chapter we've read yeah, so far. I mean, the book is getting progressively worse, which is sad. Um, it's... It's, you know, just the same fundamental errors repeated to the to the logical <coughs> conclusion of their fundamentally flawed arguments, which is mm-hmm. the problem. Because, you know, it's like, Democrats used to be racist. Like, yes, but that's not even an essay. Never mind a book. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, no, anyway. this, if he had written this for a college class, even a high school class, this would have gotten a failing grade. Oh, no, but that's because the education system doesn't like conservatives, to be fair. <laughs> so. Yes, that's so true. Uh, right? So I named this chapter, my, my substitute name for this chapter, and this chapter, by the way, is named The Original Racists. Uh, my substitute name for this chapter is uh, The Crime of the Democratic Party Fits About as Well as OJ's Glove. <laughs> 
And mine is chapter five, the one where I say the words Jewish question way too many times for anyone to feel comfortable by the end of it. Are you just going with the Friends episode's name? Yeah, that's that, what it was. Yeah. I feel like that was the name of a Friends episode, wasn't it? I feel like it was. The one Joey with the Jewish question. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, no, that's, I totally yeah. get it. Only available in Germany, though. Yeah, uh, not good. So this chapter... <laughs> It start, we start off with the Nuremberg Laws, basically, mm-hmm. um, and Dinesh explaining what the Nuremberg Laws were and how they are rooted in American racism, supposedly. Which, to be fair, that's probably not a bad point. Like, you know, America's laws at the time were super racist, laws against miscegenation. Um, that's mixing of the races, basically. Um, intermarriage jim crow laws like america was not a good place to not be a white person for a long ass time (laughs) it still isn't really (laughs) well no no but like yeah that's true um but but in in the way that it was enshrined so proudly into law uh, and you know not to say that that's not still kind of the case in the in the way those laws are enforced Mm -hmm. or in the way the current legal system is enforced but it's not it's not overtly racist. It's covertly racist now. <laughs> well, in this you know chapter I mean? and the rest of the book, I expect, goes back to Dinesh's uh, – something he brought up in the last chapter and something he says basically again in this chapter, which is, you know, it's really all the Democrats' fault, not America, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> which – and he actually makes the argument here that, well, you know um, – the majority never thought these things, even though there were times when the majority well, of the country I mean, was run this, by Democrats again, and everybody thought this, slavery was great. This this is the thing. Like, who do you think was voting these motherfuckers into office? Like, <laughs> that's the thing, right? That like that, that that's a pretty good uh, example of a majority opinion is what people are voting for. Mm-hmm. So, also the other thing is, uh, you know, the the point I would make here is, um, you, you know, you said that. You said about the U.S. Immigration Act. I'm sure you'll talk about that in a second. But do you know how de- how many Democratic presidents there w- there were between 80, 1865, which is the end of the Civil War, and 1935, which is where the Nuremberg Laws were passed? Do you know how many Democratic presidents there were? I do because I'm looking at your notes. And cool. It's three. But but like <laughs> but but for like rhetorical effect, could you pretend not to? Uh, no, Benedict. Could you tell me how many it's there three. were? There were oh, three. Wow. There three? were Grover Cleveland, Woodrow Wilson, and FDR, who had only been president for two years by that point. How many Republicans? I know you know, so I'm just going to tell you. Twelve. <laughs> Twelve Republicans. So you can miss me with the Democrats caused and perpetuated segregationism by themselves. Well, no, 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 no. no. They do have. Right, not... right, look, 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 look. He has a point in that the Democrats did control the South. Right, the Democrats controlled the South. That is, yeah, a but not the country. Point. No, but and not the presidency. These, most of these segregation laws and things were in the South. That's where they were, and they were state. Yeah, laws. but you you could have you could have put federal laws in place if you cared enough to do so. So I, I'm sorry, but you can't be like, oh well, if the Republicans had been in charge, then you know everything would have been fine. Well, that is true. Yeah, no, yeah. No. <laughs> the point he starts yeah. off in this chapter trying to make. Uh, he, he said he brought up the Nuremberg Laws. And what he's trying to say is that when the Nazis were planning the Nuremberg Laws, what they looked at were American laws in the South having to do with, like you said, miscegenation, segregation, and things like that, and decided that that's the precedent they would base their laws on. And Dinesh goes into this part here where he talks about how 
even the radical Nazis weren't as bad as the Southern Democrats. He has to keep bringing up that they were Democrats. Mm -hmm. And that in the South, there was the one drop of blood rule, right? If you have even a single drop of black blood, you count as black. And the Nazis thought that was just too far. Yeah. Well, I mean... (laughs) I don't the the thing I think he doesn't get is nobody's making the argument that these were the golden days of America. <laughs> like, Except no for one's people like, on his yeah, side. <laughs> exactly. No one's like, Oh yeah, well, I mean, I wish we could get back to that Democratic Party. Like everyone on the left is like, <laughs> No, that's obviously bad. Let's not do that. Um so oh. yeah, he, he goes on to say the Nazis the Nazis made you have three three out of four Jewish grandparents before they can consider you Jewish. Um so yeah, so Good for that, the that, Nazis. that apparently is his point for the beginning of this chat. Yeah, I don't know. That's, I'm that's not sure the, if he was trying to make three, a point there. The first three pages are basically <laughs> the Nazis thought Jim Crow laws were worse than they could get passed in, yeah. in, in Germany. Which, again, and I'd like to say this, really double down on this. <laughs> Nobody in the Democratic Party today thinks the Jim Crow laws were good. Yeah, I feel like we. I I don't. Well, I didn't think we needed to make that point, but apparently <laughs> we do. So, Dinesh, Dinesh, if you're listening, <laughs> nobody thinks the Jim Crow laws were good. Dinesh, thanks. Go talk to Steve King. Go talk to Steve King. You'll have a fun time. Anyway, the first subsection of this chapter is called "Shifting the Blame," and this is this is fantastic because he starts out here with a just fantastic phrase. He says, "My original plan for this chapter." was to show the parallel development of racism in the Democratic Party in America and racism of that special sort, anti-Semitism, in Nazi Germany. I had no idea that the racism of the Democrats actually shaped and influenced the policies of Nazi Germany. So what he's saying here is, I started out to prove a point before I ever even knew if that point was true, yeah. and then decided to go a different <laughs> way after skimming a few books and picking out... <laughs> exactly what i wanted from my them. intention for this chapter was to word vomit but then i ate some chocolate and got distracted <laughs> and this came out so i i hope that's okay with all of you <laughs> and he brings up he brings up right off the bat uh a few historians he says one in particular progressive Whitman. historians always <coughs> oh he always says progressive historians and he says, uh, I'm grateful, therefore, to Whitman and others for showing me the causal relationships between the two types of bigotry. My gratitude is qualified, however, by a recognition that these scholars are virtually all practitioners of the big lie. Whitman consistently points his finger of blame at America, and here, Dinesh reminds us that it's not America, it was just the Democrats who are racist. Yeah, again, uh, just one thing I'd quickly note. Sometimes I think he forgets whether he's capitalizing the big lie or not. <laughs> and I feel that really annoys me as an editor. Yeah. Yeah. It really annoys me because it, I feel like sometimes it's the big lie, like lowercase. Sometimes it's. No, you're the big, really totally right. The big it's on lie. And, off. <laughs> and sometimes Shouldn't it's that like be he bolded? Wants to write, Shouldn't the big lie be bolded? Or in italics or something. <laughs> and I, I feel like sometimes he wants to write the big lie, TM, copyright Dinesh D'Souza, and he wants, didn't get around to it. He wants that moment when somebody's watching a movie where they go they said the name of the movie he wants that when someone's reading his book he said the name he said the name you know that's going to be in the movie trailer (laughs) this is the big lie by the way i should bring up for all you patrons we do plan 
to watch the documentary version of this book when it comes out for you. And Benedict is groaning because he doesn't want to do it. Uh, In the meantime, read the book. In the meantime, I think because I was hoping that the documentary would be out before we were done with this book. But shockingly, it has not got funding. No, it does not look like that's (laughs) going to happen. So I think what we're going to have to do in the meantime is watch one of Dinesh's other movies, and he's made several. Uh, which are, from the reviews I have read, fantastic exercises in bullshittery. I am so excited. But I think we will put a poll up on the Patreon page for you guys to vote on which one you want us to watch uh, and talk about here on the Patreon uh, bonus episode. So keep we'll an eye We'll do that for, for that. the next book as well, whenever yep. we decide what book we want to read next. Yep. Yep. So we'll figure that out. Keep your eyes open for that. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm super excited for it. So anyway, uh, in this, this subsection we're talking about, <clears throat> he's talking here, you know, of course, about his it's all the Democrats fault. And he brings up and he really I, whenever I catch him in just a stupid fucking lie, I love it because he brings up the immigration law of 1924. And in his words, progressives passed the racist the racist immigration law of 1924 and celebrated it as a victory of progressive science and progressive planning. Now, Dinesh D'Souza would never claim that Republicans are progressives, right? I think we can agree to that. Yeah, sure. Now, the immigration law of 1924 was passed by a Republican-dominated Congress. No, that can't be right. And signed by Republican President Calvin Coolidge. Surely not. (laughs) Surely not. Yeah. yeah, and I, he. this is where he brings up his point that, oh, these things, all these racist laws in no way represented the majority of America. And I would just say that the House vote on this law was 323 to 71. The Senate vote was 69 to 9. And then the mm-hmm. president signed it. So that does seem pretty much to be that a majority. Seems majority, yes. So, he, yeah, he, go, he has said previous to that, he says... Um, just as Whitman blames America, Katznelson, who's another historian, blames the South. Never does one of them once say the Democrats. No fingers of blame ever identify the progressives. Nor Never do they point to the left. That's because that is about as far from left wing as you can possibly get. That's why, again, Democrat does not equal the left. That's not that's not like a logical sweet sequence, especially at this time. Like the left is not that. We know well, that. Only it's in very Dinesh's boring. Dinesh's yeah. straw man version of what left yeah. and right mean, which he partly outlined but never got close to even giving a real answer of what the fuck he meant by left and yeah. right. Only in in trying to say that fascists are left wing. Right? Yeah. That's the argument he's been making this whole book. Yeah. So, and you're right. The, I mean, he he is right that the 1924 immigration uh, act law is super racist. Yeah, so, no, he's totally right. <laughs> that is that is a fair point, but it's probably not dissimilar, as you've pointed out in the notes, to something Donald Trump would sign today if he could. Oh my God! Republicans would stab their own mothers in the face to get a similar act to the Immigration Act of 1924 passed today. Steve King would murder everyone in his immediate family if he could get this law passed right now. I am 100% yeah. sure it's of that. A, it's It was a bad law. There was a lot of restrictions on who could come in. There was, I think it was only white countries and even then... And it, it wasn't was even like, just white countries. It was like, oh, no Eastern Europeans, no Southern Europeans. Yeah, Basically, yeah, yeah. we want Central Europe and the UK and that's yeah. it. Basically, yeah, and even then there were restrictions. It's it, that's also the reason why there was a part of the reason why it was difficult for refugees to get into the U.S. in the mm-hmm. Second World War. 
um, because of the basically there was there was still a lot of racism and Roosevelt couldn't change the the laws as as quickly as he wanted to. Yeah, and Roosevelt was probably racist too. I mean, everybody. Oh, was he back was. Then. I mean, uh, yeah. and that—that's Pro- the point here is Pro- everyone Pro- was fucking racist, right? Yeah. Dinesh keeps wanting to say it's all the Democrats, it's all the Democrats. Everybody in the United States was fucking racist, and yeah, there were a few exceptions to people who weren't racist, but basically, most people were fucking racist. I also like. I like his. Uh, his. This. I like this paragraph here. So, practitioners of the big big lie, like Whitman and Nelson, have a second objective. Incredibly, this is the objective of turning the villains of their story into its heroes. <laughs> By clearing the Democrats and the progressives of blame. Again, not progressives. They intend to pave the way for those same Democrats to offer themselves as the solution for racism. As the big lie unfolds, somehow the very people... And see if you can spot the metaphor here. Somehow the very people who have poisoned the water reappear dressed as the water commissioner. It's an unbelievable scam. Uh, speaking that. of poisoned water, how's Flint, Michigan doing on the Republican? <laughs> I didn't know Michelle Wolf was on the show with me today. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, before that, I wanted to bring up before that, before what you got to, uh, he, t- he in the last couple of chapters, he's brought this up where, you know, he recognizes, I think, that people on his side will sort of reflexively defend the South and defend that sort of glorious past that they want to go back to. And mm-hmm. so he finds a way here to blame this on these, quote, progressive historians, where he says, So the big lie here involves Whitman and Cass Nelson shifting the blame from the real culprits, the progressives and the Democrats, to the generic South and even more generic America. In doing this, they hope for two outcomes. First, they hope that conservatives will fall for this ploy and rush to the defense of the South and America. This would then make conservatives the apologists for racism, segregation, and racial terrorism. Dinesh, that's just what your side does. Yeah, that's that's right. That that if that was the trap, they've fallen for it. Hook, line, <laughs> they and have sinker. fallen for it. Hook, <laughs> line, and fucking sinker. Jesus Christ. So, moving on to the next subsection, which is called fascism as a non-racist concept. And in this Ah, chapter, yes, famously, fascism, the non-racist ideology. Dinesh, Dinesh cannot decide whether in this chapter he wants to I focus on Dinesh racism really or not. I think Dinesh really likes Mussolini, you know. I think <laughs> yes. he's like, actually, Mussolini's an okay dude. He keeps talking about how great Mussolini was. He does. He, literally, it's like idol worship of Mussolini. He's like, oh, he stood up to Hitler. He wasn't racist. He just wanted a better world for <laughs> Everyone. We love Mussolini. I mean, wait, what? Mussolini, huh? Wait, did I say that? Did I say that out loud? <laughs> did I put ink on paper that said that? Oh, so in this subsection, Dinesh has to try and reconcile all this talk about racism, right? Because he's been bringing up how the Nazis are racist and the, the yeah. Democrats are racist. And look, to, he has to, to quote Dinesh, Mussolini had very little against blacks and almost mm-hmm. nothing against the Jews. So... <laughs> Well, I mean, no, he absolutely, has to absolutely nothing against the Jews. He has to reconcile all this racist talk with the fact that now his party has the racists, right? So he has to separate racism from fascism, right? Otherwise, his whole argument fails, okay? Even though he has spent so much time talking about racism and will continue to do so throughout this whole fucking book. So I love this part. 
Also, because- hold on one second. I just want to point out that after he's talked about how not racist uh, <laughs> Mussolini is, he then goes on to be like, oh, in 1938, Mussolini did publish the, the manifesto of fascist racism. <laughs> yes. But, know. you know, he didn't really mean it. Yeah. Is- <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> Don't look at their actions. Don't look at their actions. Oh look at their God. non actions yeah look the at their they, private look at thoughts the things they that they never voiced <laughs> yes uh so so in this subsection there's this beautiful part i just i love this he writes as was customary at the time mussolini did speak of nations in terms of race like many of his contemporaries he's used terms like the italian race in 1923 mussolini said before i love the french the english the hottentots i love italians that is to say i love those of my own race those that speak my language, that share my customs, that share with me the same history. So. That could be a Trump quote. Look, and, and he says that. He says that in the next paragraph. He says, quote, Mussolini places his affection for Italians above not just the black Hottentots, but also the white French and English. Here, that's I a think weird word. Is we that a see. Slur? I feel like that's a slur. I don't know. He said, but he says here, I think we see the kind of national pride that Donald Trump reflects and promotes. It resembles Mussolini, curiously, in its absence of racial bigotry. And how is Dinesh going to deal with the fact that he just compared Mussolini to Donald Trump? His favorite way: hitting return and starting a new paragraph. <laughs> Also, can we just take a minute to be like, oh, yes, Donald Trump, the famous racial not bigot. That's the that's the (laughs) that's the key takeaway here. You know, someone who uses probably racial slurs. I'm not sure. I've never heard the word that that word before. It goes back to his argument. Remember in chapter two, chapter one, chapter two, whenever that was, when he's talking about Donald Trump's uh, fascist rating or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, no, no, no. Donald Trump isn't racist against Muslims because that's not a race, right? He's just a bigot against Muslims. There's a difference. Also, I mean, xenophobia is still racism. It's just like, (laughs) it's it's even, I don't know, like you can be xenophobic against white people. It's Mm -hmm. still racist. Like, yeah. anyway, whatever. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, but again, with the glowing review, glowing review of Mussolini, I, I really... I can't believe... I still... Uh, sorry, I'm still shocked. I know! Like, he keeps praising Mussolini! But, yeah, but also the fact that he's just <laughs> like, oh, he wasn't racist, but the manifesto of fascist racism. Like, that literally, like, that, that... You could not have a more unambiguous title of a book than the manifesto of fascist racism <laughs> to be like, is fascism racist? Yeah, you know what? It probably is. There's a book called The Manifesto of Fascism. <laughs> well he writes it because he's trying for some reason he's trying to excuse Mussolini. I don't know why. He There's loves no him. reason. He's got a big this. old man crush on Mussolini. <laughs> he just fine. loves that mustache, man. Yeah. Loves that mustache. <laughs> but Nanesh writes, he still Mussolini didn't follow Hitler all the way. He knew that Hitler's doctrine of Nordic superiority held other groups, including Italians, to be racially inferior. Not surprisingly, Mussolini found that doctrine completely abhorrent. Even during his alliance with Hitler, he never publicly endorsed it, and earlier, he flatly dismissed it. Despite its concessions to anti-Semitism, the Manifesto of Fascist Racism rejects the biological doctrine of Nordic superiority. So, of course it does. <laughs> Yeah. You, want to be, you don't want to admit you're inferior in, yeah. in a thing that's like, oh yeah, this race is inferior. 
Oh my god! He just and he goes on. He he talks about how you know the Italian. If you look at Italian as a race, like he says Mussolini did, then all the Jewish Italians were part of the Italian race. Blah blah blah. Mussolini never sent any Jews to be killed by the Nazis. Blah blah blah. It's like, wh- why are you working so hard, so hard, Dinesh, to make Mussolini look like a great guy? I don't get it because there's no payoff for it. Right? Yeah, Dinesh's feel, whole point. Dinesh's like, whole point of this book is Democrats are fascists. Yeah, I feel and yeah, <laughs> and trying to make Mussolini good. I feel like this could be called The Big Lie, the untold story of why Benito Mussolini was good. <laughs> God. Anyway, the next subsection here. He goes yeah, back to the Yeah, this is Nazism. a lot. There's a hard J in here. It's a, a very hard, hard J. Hard J. Hard J. This subsection is called The Jew as a Greedy Capitalist. That is a hard J. So in this subsection, the entire point is the Germans saw the Jews as capitalists, and that's why they hated them, because they were all socialists. Right? I mean, the point he's that's leading what came up across to, to me. kind of, the point he's leading up to is, well, it kind of basically relies on the protocols of the elders of Zion thing that the Jews <laughs> run the financial markets if yeah, we're going to listen to yeah, his really. ar- argument here because um, <laughs> he's like oh is anti-Jewish prejudice right wing or left wing well oh. <laughs> you know you, well no but he's like well you know how the left wing hates the financial system and the financial <laughs> system is run by the Jews well that obviously makes it left wing then because that means that the left wing hates the Jews because they run the financial system, which is like, hold on. Did you just use the literal like slur that's been used against Jewish people for hundreds of years as a, as a way to make the argument that the, 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 the Nazi discrimination against the Jews is a left wing thing because yeah, no, they no. run the financial system. Is that what just happened? <laughs> yes, yes, that is what just happened. Yes, it is. No, but you're right. He starts off this chapter and he says, he writes, now we return to Nazi racism. And here I raise two questions. First, was Nazi racism in its characteristic form of anti-Semitism, right-wing or left-wing? And Dinesh, I can't wait to find out what you're going to say, what you're going to discover. Is it right-wing or left-wing? What do you oh, think? I'm sure what do you it's going to be right-wing. Concludes? I'm yeah. sure it's going to be right-wing. But you know, he actually, he you're talking about right the, the fucking Protocols of the Elder of Zion shit. Uh, he writes this, the Jews are hated because they are more hardworking, more creative, better educated, and richer than other Germans. In other words, anti-Semitism is anchored in the worst of the seven deadly sins, namely envy. Not scapegoating, which is what it actually fucking yeah. was, but envy. Yeah, very, very <laughs> weird. Um, and oh. then, yeah, we get onto productive versus financial capitalism. Yeah. And um, d- which is, you know, one of, the, one of those things. Which, well, this is back to what we were talking about, where in this chapter, he's saying that the Jews run the financial markets and the banks and this, that, and the other, and Hitler talked about productive capitalism versus financial capitalism. If you don't know what that is, productive capitalism is the idea, like, you know, you have a factory and you're making shit, or financial capitalism is just, you know, charging interest or something like that. Um, So, yeah, that was like the... mm -hmm. I'm going to read this paragraph. So, um he talks about Feder and why he's like who was an inspiration for Hitler and why we are anti-Semites Marx he also talks about Marx having some problematic views of the Jews which is true Um, like most people were fucking anti-Semites yeah yeah that's true it goes back Uh, to the same thing with racism there's like these views were very prominent we get it 
Yeah, that's, yeah. So he says, it's quite long, so bear with me. He says, Hitler argues that Jews accumulate wealth, quote, without putting in the sweat and effort required of all other mortals. Jewish domination of international finance, Hitler alleges, corrupts all honest work. National socialism, Hitler declares, has arrived on the scene to awaken, augment, and incite the instinctual antipathy of our people for Jewry. Notice here that the distinction that Feder and Hitler make between two types of capitalism, productive capitalism and finance capitalism, is precisely the distinction made by the democratic left in America today. Democrats <laughs> rarely rail against productive <laughs> capitalism. That's not true. When have you heard them denounce General Mills or Procter & Gamble pretty frequently for exploiting their workers? Mm-hmm. Instead, they focus their bile on, quote, finance capitalism, on the alleged crimes of banks and Wall Street. The only word missing from this invective that Hitler would have added is quote jews and that's missing because that's not what we believe we don't think that the jews run the financial markets and wall street that's why that's not in there yes the financial cap financial capitalism can be a bad thing because it does exploit people and make money on speculation of like people's hard-earned money that's fine and people make fortunes off the back of doing essentially no work that's not because they're jewish that's because they're bad people a lot of the time well, I like, you, I one like does not you... have to be a jew to be involved in financial capitalism that's the anti-semitic bit not talking about financial capitalism <laughs> implying that every financial capitalist is a jew is the anti-Semitic bit. Uh, well, I like how he includes alleged financial crimes here, right? Like, yeah, the 2008 financial crisis never happened. Mm, no That's crimes. just something the left came up with. Yeah. Right? Enron Magic never fucking happened. Yeah. They yeah, just yeah, yeah. made it up. Yeah. Oh, God. So we move on. Uh, and he has a, a moment of almost lucidity here, right? And he goes back to it later. But he writes uh, about why anti-Semitism is appealing to people, right? He says, anti-Semitism offers to underperforming people a solution to their own inner sense of inferiority. They can Mm -hmm. now persuade themselves that even if they're not as smart or as industrious as Jews, they are in fact morally superior to them. I'm like, yes! That's how You understand where bigotry comes from! Yeah, that's how all (laughs) racism works. Well done. Oh, it's beautiful because we we keep getting those close but no potato moments. We get those... Like, what the fuck, Dinesh moments that I love yeah. so much. Where it's just yeah. like, Dinesh, come on, buddy. You're so close. You're so <laughs> close. Just reach. <laughs> reach reach so, that middle finger out. Uh, so the next subsection is called The Hidden Appeal of Racism. <laughs> <laughs> My journey to the American right. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he starts off here writing, uh, Only the anti-Semitism of the Nazi era matches the racism of the Democrats. So apparently Dinesh has developed a system for measuring racism, which I would be very interested in learning about. That would be very interesting to me. Uh, And the point of this subsection is to, again, go back to the Democrats and talk about segregation in the South. And and he doesn't even talk about segregation. He doesn't, like, go into, like, details of segregation. He just lists off... Here's a Democrat who supported segregation. Here's a Democrat who supported segregation. Here's another Democrat who supported segregation. It's like, yes, we fucking get it. Make a yep. point. Yep. Democrats used to be bad people. That's yes, fine. We admit we that. That's okay. <laughs> and I love that whenever he's bringing up, uh, you know, examples of this kind of shit, he always goes like 1914, 1915, 1930, right? He's bringing up, he never can delve into like 1990, 2000, 2008. Oh, he does talk about Robert Byrd, to be fair. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, and to be fair, to be fair, Robert Byrd was a racist asshole, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah like, and, but we again, recognize that. Cool. We 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 know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but and this is beautiful because we know the right loves Thomas Jefferson. They love Thomas Jefferson, and Dinesh has to make an attempt to defend Thomas Jefferson, the notorious slave owner. Listen, I like Thomas Jefferson. Uh-huh. Like you can you can be you can recognize that he is a slave owner and that's a very very bad thing while mm-hmm. while having some gray area there about him being right look and a, that's the same right with with all, most of the founding fathers owned slaves right yeah we fucking recognize Washington had, that that's didn't he have wrong dentures made from slaves teeth <laughs> i don't like, know <laughs> i think that's true i always remember hearing they were wooden teeth when no I was that's kid. not true that's that's a that's really? a big lie. That is the big that's lie. That's a big lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they wanted to hide the truth from us school kids. Yeah, uh, they so... had slave teeth dentures. <laughs> I tell you, they were wooden too. <laughs> Shit. Oh, man. So, of course, in trying to defend Thomas Jefferson here, because look, look, we can recognize that the founding fathers did great things for the country and for the world, blah, blah, blah. But we should also recognize the shitty stuff they did. Right. Mm. We can't gloss over history and ignore bad things just because it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, So what Dinesh writes is, consider the proof that progressives typically give to prove Thomas Jefferson's racism. Here is the smoking and the the sarcasm is dripping. Here is the smoking gun. Hold on. He's about to cite a letter. I feel like the proof is that he owns slaves. I feel like that's a <laughs> that's a stronger proof. Yeah, but that might on. have been that might have been some. And that you know the whole thing with uh uh you know sleeping with one of his slaves and not granting the freedom. That whole thing. Yeah, uh, but Sally he writes. Hemings. Yeah, Sally Hemings. Uh, so here's the smoking gun from Jefferson's notes on the state of Virginia. I advance it, therefore, as a suspicion only that the blacks, whether originally a distinct race or made distinct by time and circumstance, are inferior to the whites in the endowments of body and mind. And Dinesh's defense of this is so Dinesh bad. Dinesh is like, well, he so said maybe, bad. so... He said, he literally knows? said, Jefferson isn't even sure. He has a, air quotes, suspicion, but only a suspicion. Also, like, yeah, that's Thomas, your Jefferson, fucking excuse. Thomas Jefferson of famously, like, non-committal <laughs> language. Like, obviously he said it that way. That's how he phrased it. Like, the Declaration of Independence was the only sure-footed thing he ever wrote. Oh, like he's God. he's a lawyer. Famously, he wrote in like a non-committal way a lot of the time. Like he hedged his bets. Um, oh. So yeah, oh. that feels like a smoking gun, Dinesh. I know you were trying to d- disprove that, but that doesn't feel good. Oh, so he, he keeps going in this subsection talking about Democrats and racism was used to support Democratic politicians. Yeah, great. That's all true. That's fine. That's obvious. Uh, but he gets into like trying to again. He's just throwing out names of Democrats who were racist. He's not yeah. trying to make any real points. He points out the Dred Scott decision was decided by Roger Taney, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, and and stated infamously that blacks have no rights which the white man was bound to respect. And then he tries to throw in Stephen Douglas. He says this same racist doctrine was the basis for the Northern Democrat Stephen Douglas's advocacy of popular sovereignty. And it's like. Maybe Douglas thought that, but that's not why he supported popular sovereignty. He supported popular sovereignty because he wanted to save the Union and because he really was in favor of democracy, right? It all ties together in a way, but it's like you're making these enormous stretches. He's really trying to make these huge stretches that have no logical link between them, just throwing things out there and hoping they stick. Yep, that's true. 
I agree with and, but that. But he gets back to, like we just talked about in the end of the previous subsection, he says, basically the same reason why racism existed in the South. In the South. There we have it, quote, this is a quote, there we have it, what the Democratic slave owner offered the poor white is precisely what the Democratic Party offered the white Southern voter, namely, the opportunity to belong to an aristocracy of color. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, Dinesh, you get it. Exactly. I mean, the point is that even the lowest white man was above the above any black man just or woman just yeah. just by virtue of the color of their skin and that that's what they offered to people the it, it's kind of a class thing as well it's like you are i guess more of a caste thing like if you're talking about the like a caste system of like you are by virtue of the color of your skin no matter your station within your own skin color community or higher mm-hmm. than and that's that's intoxicating to people because you know, if you're if you're if you feel you're the lowest of the low, but you're being told that even even then you're better than the highest of the high of another another uh, of of someone with another skin color, then then obviously that's that's intoxicating. Yeah, no, it makes perfect like, sense. But Dinesh that's, can't. That's how populism works. But Dinesh can't, you know, connect these things together and see why the racists are now behind the Republican Party. He just doesn't fucking get it. Um, So our next next subsection is called Racial Terrorism There and Here. And again, this is sort of pointless. He's trying to show that there's similarities between the Klan and the Nazi brown shirts, which, sure, any violent group, there's similarities. But what is your point in that, right? Is it that the brown shirts studied the Klan as an example of what to do? Because I'm pretty sure that mob violence doesn't need a study time to figure out no. how they're going to go hurt people of the group they yeah, hate. Yeah, you could very easily be like, oh, well, the Ku Klux Klan was inspired by the Roman mob because, like, <laughs> you, you know. Well, he yeah, writes here, he write, this is like the most ridiculous comparison he tries to make. He says, both the Klan and the brown shirts wore outfits and developed styles that reflect, at least to the modern eye, the style of high camp. So they liked pretty uniforms, apparently. Also, the brown shirts needed some work compared to the Ku Klux Klan. Because the Ku Klux Klan had some very fancy outfits. I know they're very bad people, mm-hmm. but like sartorially, you know. Also, well, they just—I mean—they just dressed like the Catholic priests do on Easter, right? I mean, it's the... <laughs> no, seriously, it's the, it looks exactly like the traditional garb that they wear in the processions. Maybe not, maybe without the hood. But I no, don't. you. Uh, ser- I, I, oh my God, have you not seen the? I grew the... up Catholic. I grew up Catholic. Really not. But have I have never seen... seen a Catholic priest dressed like a fucking clan dragon or whatever. One second. <laughs> Are you gonna show me a picture? What the fuck is that? Yeah, it's an Easter parade. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's an Easter parade. No, that's a clan parade. No, it's not. It's You're Easter... fucking shitting me. <laughs> no, I promise you. Look it up. Oh, God. Okay, listener, go look up. Okay, what is that, a Spanish this, this Easter is, parade? This is a Spanish Easter parade. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, that go is look the that clan. up, listener. Listen, patrons, <laughs> go look up Spanish Easter parade. It's the same fucking costume. I swear to God. That's yeah, so the hats are even higher. If anything. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> and you know, like so, one of my one go. of my favorite things. One of my favorite things is watching documentaries about neo Nazis and the Klan and shit like that. Right? 
I just want Dinesh to go to a Klan rally and count the MAGA hats, right? I think he honestly, I don't know if, I don't think he honestly believes, uh, but he says, he professes to believe that the Klan today is still a bunch of Democrats, right? You would have to, if you follow his train of logic, assume that the Klan are a bunch of Democrats. Mm-hmm. But I think we all know, <laughs> what uh, going to a Klan rally, you're going to see more Trump flags than fucking I'm with her bumper stickers. Yeah, I think that's probably right. <laughs> uh, so uh, in this subsection, like he, he keeps talking about slavery, and he talks about the uh, one-drop rule again. And the only other interesting thing in this subsection is he says, interesting, quote, interestingly, while the Nuremberg laws are now history, the one-drop rule is very much with us, not only as a matter of law, but also as a matter of personal identity. Think about Obama. He's half white and half black, yet he identifies as black. Many African Americans have white ancestry, yet they consider themselves black. Why, you ask? Because of the one-drop rule. (laughs) that I, yeah weird. extremely I, weird i can't and he says if any of these people tried to self-identify as white or refused to racially classify themselves at all which you can do you ever looked at a form that asked you for your race there's always one a box that says refuse to answer he says yeah, like wing groups of some form like he says left-wing groups would condemn them for it if they refused to classify themselves. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's very bad. <laughs> and so the last subsection in this chapter is really short. It's it's only a page and a half. Uh and it's called From Brown Shirts Riots to Nuremberg Law. Uh and there is no point to it. There is no point. He could have just ended the chapter. There was literally no point to putting an extra page and a half here where no. he just talks about Hitler and there were riots and then the Nazis rose. That that's literally it. No. Yeah. So <laughs> we should I, we should end the episode there. Should we just end, end it because yeah. because what the fuck was? Am I right? Was there no point to this last page and a half? No. I didn't pick up anything from it other than just like he just goes through. He says, "Yeah, well, you know, the Nazis, 1920s and 1930s. There was the brown shirts, and then you know Hitler came to power in 33 and." Then he talked about anti-Semitism, and yeah, he didn't like the Jews. Anti-Semitism and didn't like anyone, and uh, Himmler and Hitler, and yeah, Democrats. And and I'll just, I'll just read, I'll read the last, the last paragraph of this chapter. Okay, so where he says, just as the segregation and discrimination laws were intended to supplement and, in some respects, replace the random violence of the Ku Klux Klan, so too the Nuremberg laws and Nazi discrimination laws were intended to supplement and in some respects replace the random violence of the brown shirts. In this respect, and in so many others, the Nazis and Democrats draw so close that it becomes increasingly difficult to tell one from the other. <laughs> That's yeah, where we the end. The other thing is, he talks about Kristallnacht, and he's saying it replaced the random <laughs> violence, but Kristallnacht is much after... Kristallnacht was random violence! Yeah, exactly, and that was in, what, 1938? Oh, I don't, you know was I'm bad Crystal with dates. Nacht? November 1938. So he was like, oh, yeah, after 1935, they didn't need random violence anymore. But Kristallnacht, which I mentioned earlier, well, you know, you uh, you know how violence is random sometimes. <laughs> like, what? Oh, God. Anyway. So that is it for Chapter 5 of Dinesh D'Souza's book, The Big Lie, Exposing the Nazi Roots of the American Left. Uh, I'm excited for next week because next week's chapter, or well, we're actually going to record it tomorrow, but mm-hmm. tomorrow's, tomorrow's chapter is all about eugenics. It is titled, 
disposable people and this is not excited for that this is a trope that the right loves that the left are all eugenicists even though that's something that's not even around anymore uh it's just beautiful i'm so excited for that it's gonna be a lot of fun but in the final segment this week we of course get back to our dinesh d'souza book i gotta say before we get into the book that uh the Sharks have just lost Game 6. Uh, they are out of the playoffs, so I do not get a point this year for the San Jose Sharks winning the Stanley Cup as one of my yearly predictions. Gutted. Sorry. <sighs> just just destroyed. But anyway, why don't we get to it? Chapter 6, this mm-hmm. one is called Disposable People. Disposable mm-hmm. People. And Cool. My alternative. I think I would be a disposable person in a Nazi regime. I don't <laughs> think they'd sure. want to keep me around. My alternative title for this uh, is, and you'll you'll figure out why later, is the kicking and the screaming. Uh, it's a it's a throwback to Michelle Bachman. Uh, somebody will get it. But we start off in the opening of this chapter. Oh, do you have a do you have an alternate alternate title? I can do. Chapter six, uh, in which Dinesh is credulous enough to believe believe a Project Veritas video. <laughs> I like that you use the proper grammar of in which. I like that. <laughs> in which our hero uses Project Veritas as the basis of an argument. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we start off in this chapter where Dinesh is talking about abnormal and pathological behavior, and he asks the question Are we Sounds here like in America? A Saturday night for Kevin. <laughs> are we here in America putting up with things that are completely base and horrific? You know where this is going. You know whenever he asks a, a fucking question like that, you know what the answer is going to be. Well, if the left had its way, <laughs> so, it continues to have its way or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he starts to tell us about Joseph Mengele and the experiments mm-hmm. at Auschwitz and uh, Mengele's connection to the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. Yeah, I mean, that's not really got anything to do with anything. The fact that he's connected to the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. I mean, apart no, from the fact that it is a royal ne- institute. Dinesh needed it. He needed it to make a connection that he's going to make later, mm, which I, I, yeah, I got it sure. in the notes. We'll get there. But yeah. So he says, how do humans cross over into the d- domain of the unconscionable? History shows they sometimes do it without any awareness of the horror of what they are doing. Hannah Arendt termed this the banality of evil, um, which, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he has not read Hannah Arendt. <laughs> Again, just like whenever he quotes these people, I'm pretty sure that's not you know he's the quotes are generally taken out of context oh these um, are so, he, you know he's a cherry picker you yeah. know he cherry I mean, I, picks I, quotes. I think that is right it's it's like evil that's just that it becomes every day to people yeah so um, uh the the only other thing worth mentioning in this opening section of the chapter is the last sentence of the last paragraph mm-hmm. where he writes mengala's research was legal it was sanctioned by the state and it was for a progressive cause so from this point of view, what was there to be ashamed of? I just love how Dinesh will label anything progressive yeah, with no yeah. justification whatsoever. Well, just bad no, thing exactly. must be progressive. But, but I mean, he is um, entwining the two terms of progressive. Of, like, he's, he's pretending something that at the time was considered and and he's right at the time it was considered in america especially scientifically progressive to mm-hmm. do you know eugenics was a was a 
was seen as scientific progress you know social darwinism yeah. was seen as a thing like genuinely people thought this might be the future if they could yeah. control the the health of babies through this and like eradicate diseases in this way it was seen as progressive that has nothing to do with what we now say is like political progressivism mm -hmm. it's not the same thing at all you can't just say something has the same name and because it sounds the same and pretend it means the same thing that's not you know pro progressivism came from the idea of trying to use science to solve the problems of mankind right that's where like the original progressive movement came from uh you go back but to like as, we, as we've seen meanings of words change mm -hmm. yes and they the do the republican party yes, is do. not the same as it once but, was but we all know me the proud technocrat who holds firmly to those progressive roots and likes to use science to solve the problems of humanity so but not you know, kill babies not kill babies well, i mean you know fetuses yeah kill a fetus but not a baby uh <laughs> not kill it's not kill is it that's you're using the wrong yes, word true. you're playing extract extract a fetus yeah. Uh, anyway, the next subsection, the first subsection we're going to get into is called The Left's Own Mengele. Of course, mm -hmm. Dinesh has to find his own Joseph Mengele for his progressive boogeyman. I'm surprised he didn't say, I'm surprised he didn't say Mengele was left-wing because the Nazis are left-wing. It's like he doesn't even follow his own line of argument. They don't oh, need he forgets. The, le the left doesn't need its own Mengele if the Nazis are left-wing. Like, yeah, but you know, he think he, he wants it to be America's left's Mengele. America's yeah. left's he wants Mangala? It to be, yeah. He wants it to be Bar Barack Obama's <laughs> Mangala. Yes, what that's he what he wants. That's what he if would he like. could, Oh, you know he would love it. He, he would if he could. If he, if he thought he could get away with it, he would try and say this person we're about to talk to was connected in some way to Barack Obama. And so yeah. his Mangala that he's talking about here is Kermit Gosnell. So if you don't know who Kermit Gosnell is. Kermit the Frog. Nope, not as friendly. Not as friendly as no. Kermit the Frog. No, Kermit Gosnell was a uh, ran a uh, a clinic in West Philadelphia. It was an abortion clinic. And Born he, and raised. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> he see. Okay. <laughs> because there have been a number of jokes on this podcast you would not allow me to do and we're talking about an abortion doctor and you pulled that and out i said born and raised yeah that's right <laughs> you heard me okay. Good <laughs> so uh kermit gosnell uh performed a number of late-term abortions he was indicted and convicted in 2011 for a number of them <coughs> for i think i think he had nine indictments for these really late-term abortions and like there's very few people out there defending Kermit Gosnell, right? There's very yeah. few people out there saying that this guy is a good guy. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Sorry, these damn coughs. Is this where he uh, says that, that I, mean, I think it's later that he's like, the left loves late-term abortions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he says that. He says that. Yeah. But this is where he makes the connection I just mentioned, where he says, if Gosnell is our Mengele, we also have our Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, and its name, dun dun dun, is Planned Parenthood. <laughs> yeah, we haven't quite got to. Uh, we haven't got quite got to um, uh, the Project Veritas video yet. No, because no, we're not there he, yet. No, no, we have. He says, uh, but he never mentions that it's Project Veritas because he knows. No, no, the, he just says. Th he just the undercover says group. the undercover group, right? What does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. I think he planned to say the name, or maybe this yeah, editor, I think this unseen a, editor, a, a took it out. Got cut. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but of course, this is the heavily edited 
video <laughs> that Project Veritas released that has been widely debunked about oh, yeah. late-term abortions and mm-hmm. fetus tissue harvesting or whatever. Yeah, whereas, like, if you watch the video, we like to rip babies apart and sell the pieces. You know, <coughs> I haven't like seen it, but I'm assuming it goes something like that. Oh, I need yeah, to get the robot a... lady back no, in here. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> not but no, that. so he tries to make this connection, right? Joseph Mengele was working with the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute and sending samples there. And he's saying he's using this as a reach, right? Gosnell is Mengele. Then the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute is Planned Parenthood. And this is the type of fucking analogy that I hated every English lit professor I ever had for, where it's just this stupid fucking stretch that makes no sense. Uh, because mm-hmm. an- analogies analogies can be useful, but when you do them in a way just to make your fucking point, it's fucking worthless. Yep, that's true. <coughs> I agree. I just don't like yeah, English lit dumb. professors. I'm sorry. I well, don't. that's mean. Okay. I didn't say Spanish lit professors. I said English well, lit professors. I mean, literature generally. I, I will always defend. <laughs> anyway, he, he also, he asked, again, he asked the rhetorical question. Does it seem far-fetched and wrong to compare the core institution of Nazi eugenics to Planned Parenthood? Yes. Yes, yes it does, Dinesh. Yep. Yep. But he says, 100%. no, not at all. Not at all. Why would it be? Yeah, you're not allowed to answer your own rhetorical question like that. <laughs> You're not, that's not the, again, Dinesh needs an English literature professor, I would suggest. Oh, and I just, I wrote in, I wrote in the notes here, can you say progressive a few more times, Dinesh? Because it's like every other goddamn sentence. Progressive Progressive this, progressive that. It's like, Jesus Christ, you can't, you can't just label everything you don't like progressive. No. Oh. So we also, in the end of this subsection, he says, he cites a few people, uh, Marge Bearer, and two other women uh, who wrote that regardless of time limits, anyone who thinks they have the right to refuse even one woman an abortion can't continue to claim they are pro-choice. And here he's saying, I guess his point here is that this is the same as Nazi eugenics, that Mm -hmm. giving women choice is the same as forcibly sterilizing them. I don't know. I wasn't sure. But it's that yeah, same it's pick weird. and choose thing. It's highlighting, like, because he he's brings up one woman who said that uh, late-term abortions should be legal, like you mentioned earlier, and he's trying to say that that's, like, the mainstream view of yeah, the Yeah, that means we should wait till the third trimester always to, to, do, yeah. the oper- to do the procedure. Oh, that's Christ. not how it works. Okay. So the next subsection we get into is called the first death camps. Uh, and I love this sentence he has early on where he says, the Democrats admittedly have replaced their old rural plantations with new urban plantations called ghettos for blacks, barrios for Latinos, and reservations for American that's Indians. That's a lot. That's, that's really a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really a lot. And, and I, so there's this, I, this, this argument. Also, this, I, hold on one second. I like that he starts this chapter being like, uh, so we saw that the Democrats used to do this. Of course, the past is still with us, but not in the same form. Racism, for example, is not the same today as it was half a century or a century ago. He is basically saying, I think unwittingly in that sentence, everything I've said up to this point has been completely useless to my <laughs> argument. But now, moving on. <coughs> oh, no, because his point, the point he's going to try and make for the rest of the book, and he says that in this subsection, the, po- the rest of the book, he says, is going to focus on how the modern Democratic Party is just like the Nazis. He actually says that is his point for the rest of the book. So, yeah. 
Uh, his argument here, he says, and and this, I want to point out this argument because this one gets thrown out a lot by the right, especially people who like and follow Dinesh. And Mm -hmm. what he says is, as long as the Democrats get their votes, they are happy with them and done with them. Right. And he says they he's talking about turned, black people. Brown, yeah, they've turned people of color millions generally. of minorities into disposable people whose lives don't matter to them and whose primary utility is their fruitful dependency on the Democrats. And this argument relies on the, the idea that minorities are stupid. Right. I can never yeah. get over that whenever they bring this up. Yeah, it's a it's racist just, argument. This is the minorities are sheep argument. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's where this comes from. And I can but, never yeah, get over it's, that. It's the it's they're being bribed by welfare, and it's like a a fucking drug. Yes, and, and yes, the, and yes, and, and yes. The Democrats are the pimps. And I fucking love this next line where he says, "Even so, there are important differences between the new Democratic plantations and the old ones. The slaves had to work, while today's minority population don't have to. In fact, Ooh. the Democrats would prefer they didn't." Oh. Very good. That's so, that's so tasty. That's just exactly what I imagined Dinesh would write. Yeah. Oh. We're, it, the, the, I mean, exactly. He's saying, like, we're <laughs> bribing people of color with welfare, making them welfare kings and queens. Oh, and, God. And, uh, you know, it's all, all the tropes, all the old tropes. We're getting the band back together. The band <laughs> of old tropes. <laughs> uh, pulling the old Reagan folks back together. Anyways, yeah. we move on. Uh, and he, what he's doing in this subsection, he says, let's begin by examining the crime that connects the Nazis to the Democrats. And that crime that he says connects the Nazis to the Democrats is euthanasia somehow. Mm, what the, the euthanasia? The quote, to do dress that? rehearsal for the Holocaust that he's talking about here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not really Well, look, sure. and let's say like, right, the Nazis started off with like, you know, killing uh, people who were mentally handicapped and stuff like that, right? And he's saying, right, and that didn't happen in the United States. There no. was sterilization in the United States, but there wasn't killing of those people. No. As far as I am aware, somebody, maybe if I'm wrong, you can inform me, but there wasn't, yeah. you know, it, they weren't being rounded up into camps and gassed like the Nazis did to the mentally yeah. feeble, as they called them. Well, I mean, he's saying, I think he, he eventually says that, like, isn't it that the, he, the argument is that we should sterilize like criminals. Yeah, so here we go. It's in the next section, but it's kind of relevant, so I'm going to say it anyway. Okay, let's so move on to the next the section. Learning, it's, in the, <laughs> it's in the learning from progressives bit. So he said, uh, well, as you said, not Democrats, progressives. He's in, you know, he's oh, in yeah. Terms interchangeably. <laughs> well, and, and but, it's important. It's important. I have to bring this up because in this next subsection, learning from progressives, he wants to separate progressives from democrats he says the answer is that they got it from american progressives not democrats this time but specifically progressives ignoring the fact that he's basically used those two terms interchangeably for the entire first five chapters of this book yeah so i talking about the the sterilizations you were talking about so he quotes historian angela franks and he says america led the way in legalizing and promoting coerced eugenic sterilizations historian angela franks writes quote progressives had their first success in 1907 when indiana passed a law requiring sterilization of quote confirmed criminals idiots imbeciles and rapists um fine cool but 
I, I think, again, with this, the question you have to ask is what voting block would vote for that today as a punishment? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. will bet you that it is the same voting block that tends <laughs> to vote for the death penalty, while the voting block that m- tends to vote against the death penalty, I would imagine, would not vote for forced sterilization. So, yes. You know. And you brought up you brought up Angela Franks. And this is great because he said he calls her historian angela franks right that's mm-hmm. the specific that's, word he is, used yeah that's what he said i took the time to look up angela franks because okay, i was okay. interested in who this interesting, person is interesting uh, and this is from her website on the about angela franks page angela franks phd is a theologian speaker writer and mother of six she serves as professor mm-hmm. of theology at the theological institute for the new evangelization at saint john's seminary in boston Not her area is a her areas of specialty include the theology of the body, the new evangelization, the trini, trinity, Christology, the trinity. and the thought of John Paul II and Hans Urs von Balthasar. That is the historian he relies on for this, uh, a lot yeah. of this chapter. He quotes her multiple times. That's the historian. And, and this was so, great, too. So this, this book is, the, the, the book, the footnote, he's actually footnoted for once, and mm-hmm. it's by Angela Franks, and it's called Margaret Sanger's Eugenic Legacy. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you know, and, Margaret and, Sanger, the, the founder of Planned Parenthood. So possibly not a neutral perspective there. Yes, and I love, this, I love this part of her bio. It says, an experienced speaker, she has spoken at numerous conferences, including the International Theology of the Body Congress and on EWTN. I don't EWTN, which I had to look up, and that is the Eternal Word Television Network, which is a Catholic TV channel, and Fox News, and and quote, many other outlets. They didn't want to name any other outlets. They just said many other outlets. Citation needed. But the best part of this, the best part is on the blog section of her website. There is one listed called Contraception is Contra Happiness. So... It's just great. That's it's why she great. has six children. This unbiased view we have here from Angela Franks is just beautiful. Oh, so in this uh, this subsection, learning from progressive, he always he has another hilarious line where he's he writes, "Yes, some Republicans were also progressives, but they were moderate progressives." Teddy Roosevelt exa- literally founded the Progressive Party. <laughs> It's it's like it's called the Bull Moose Party, which is what he calls it here to avoid calling it that. But it's lit, it was properly it was called the Progressive yeah, Party. Yeah, no, but this is great. This is great. He says a typical example is Theodore Roosevelt, who it should be noted only became an ardent progressive when he quit the Republican Party. And going down, this is my favorite part. While it is conceivable that Woodrow Wilson, had he lived, would have embraced the Nazi forced sterilization laws, it is inconceivable that Roosevelt would have. Yeah. <laughs> how? How? How do you get there? How Tying do you get there, Dinesh? Pretzel knots. What are you talking about? There, there's a pretzel knot that he's done. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Oh, That's Jesus weird. Christ. So, we move on. We move on. And uh, you're right. So, when he's talking about uh, Angela Franks and eugenics, uh, he brings up in here a 1907 law requiring sterilization of confirmed criminals idiots imbeciles and racists yeah, and of saying. course rapists not racists racists yeah, yeah. were fine racists racists yeah. were fine racists <laughs> were fine i took the time to look up uh the 1907 indiana legislature and governor and guess what who, who who would you think who would you think they were what party would you take a random guess they were from <laughs> uh republican 
They were. Yeah. They were. And I got to say, I hate falling into Dinesh's bullshit fucking argument, right? That it matters what party these people were from. But since that's his argument, I feel like we have to point it out. But if we're going to play by those rules, yeah, exactly. So uh, he writes about how, uh, of course, you know, there were, uh, he says, he says this, progressives persuaded states across the country to pass marriage restriction laws that prohibited whites and blacks from intermarrying because that's such a progressive policy. Yeah, progressives did not do that. that is not, not to mention that miscegenation laws were around since the beginning of the United States. Yep. Uh and, and and this is this is another part where he can't he can't I don't know why he wrote this he says progressives today charge Trump with supporting racist immigration policies while they are the ones who actually implemented such policies and to this date have never acknowledged or apologized for this record so Donald Trump is pursuing racist immigration policies right mm. can we can we agree yeah, on that yeah, yeah, yeah can I we agree, agree on that. And and this is something I, I he's mean, brought at up. the very least nativist and and well look he, what I'm what I'm pointing out here is that his excuse for Trump's racist immigration policies is Democrats did it in the past that's his entirety of the excuse there that's true and he also yeah, yeah. throws back in this line that he has said this multiple times in this book that Democrats have never apologized for insert line here Democrats have never apologized for this that and the other and so I said fuck it let me look. Let me look and see if Democrats, as though that's a thing, as though that's an individual who has some sort of agency and could apologize for themselves, <laughs> yeah. has apologized for anything. And I found, which I wasn't even aware of this, in 2008, the U.S. House of Representatives, which you may recall was controlled by Democrats at the time, passed mm -hmm. a resolution apologizing for slavery. Oh, cool. That was in introduced by Representative Steve Cohen, a Democrat from Tennessee. Thanks. So... And look, this is the thing. Whenever – remember Obama's supposed apology tour, right? Obama didn't go apologize for anything, right? He went and visited Hiroshima, and they called mm -hmm. it an apology tour. Whenever Democrats make any sort of action that looks like it might be an apology, we get slammed for it. Yeah, they they don't want an actual apology. They don't want an actual apology. And let me say, on behalf of the Democrats, right now – I will apologize for everything bad that Democrats have ever done. There. Is that good enough for you, Dinesh? Because that's I mean, my I, question. I don't think you can speak for the Democrats, but they... Well, yeah. that's my question is, who yeah. speaks for the Democrats? No, right? No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're there right. is no apologizing for the Democrats, especially mm -hmm. the Democrats of the past, who are all dead <laughs> yeah, now. who are definitely very different to, to our oh, values. Jesus Christ. So... Uh, after we get through all of that, where he, you know, bases his argument off for a, a someone with a worthless PhD in theology and no history background, uh, he goes on about eugenics for a while. Uh, this is this is his whole argument. He's connecting everything the Nazis did to the Democrats through eugenics because, as he says, it was a progressive thing. Even though mm -hmm. most of the educated of the people at the time, whether they were progressive or not, believed eugenics because it was just the scientific fad. It was something that was very in. Um, yeah. So the next subsection we get into is called Controlling Human Weeds. And mm -hmm. here we get the rights boogeyman with Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, basically, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how much of this is worth going into. They, it's basically him being like, oh, well, she wanted to, eugenics to happen, which, you know, a lot of people did at the time. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know... 
I, I mean, the idea behind birth control is that you are able, you are not, you, you do not have a baby every time you have sex. So, <laughs> you know, not that that happens, you, you know, but you know what I mean? There is not a risk of a pregnancy every time you have sex. And it's mm-hmm. not like we're going to abort the babies that we think might be a little ugly. It's like women can choose when they want to reproduce. And as such, the population will probably get healthier and better and people and children will be better looked after and brought up in a healthier environment. And that's the... that sometimes eugenics doesn't necessarily mean uh what we think it means when we get to the nazis that's not to say it's a good thing but sometimes it just means like picking and choosing when you want to have a baby because you're altering your biology you know it is playing god a bit birth control because but like why shouldn't we well let's and let's say margaret sanger probably had some fucking bad ideas she probably was racist it was the 19 fucking 20s yeah everyone was fucking racist and that's i'm getting we are at chapter six and i know you are feeling the same exhaustion with this book that i am because it's the same arguments over and over again and it's so tiring and it's the same bullshit it's the same missing the point it's the same logical fallacies but we have to carry on because we made a promise that we would finish this book. <laughs> and I'm not going to let us quit. We're more so, than halfway through, and we're nearly to the pictures now, so that's good. Oh, yeah, pictures. We get a break for some pictures in the middle of the next chapter. So oh. uh, our next subsection is called Hitler's American Example. And I love it. His first source in the beginning of this subsection is someone named Richard Weikart, who, again, I took the time to look Historian up. Historian Richard Weikart. Historian Richard Weikart. And while I will say he is actually a historian, he has a degree in history, he teaches history, he's a member of the Discovery Institute. If you don't know what the Discovery Institute is, it is a, 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 a tiny office building with a couple of cubicles where a bunch of old guys try and push intelligent design. That's oh, the Discovery Institute. Good. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so his source here, Richard Weikart, who wrote in a book called From Darwin to Hitler, because, of course, they want to paint Darlin- Darwin as this evil bad guy. Darwin is evolution. Evolution is the source of all humanity's ills. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, Hitler drew upon a bountiful fund of social Darwinist thought to construct his own racist philosophy. Oh, so this is literally he's doing this so that they can discredit Darwin. That's why he's saying yes. that's why he's yes. this. Cool. Okay. No, and we've talked, I think we talked about last chapter, which you can only hear over patreon.com forward slash Kevin and Benedict, uh, about social Darwinism. I think he brought it up there, which was I'm just sure one, we another... we talk about it, but yeah, it uh, is... We I talked mean, about it, is... it at some point. It was another yeah. one of those fad things, right? Darwin never pushed social Darwinism. It was something that people uh, grabbed, you know, parts of his his books and used it to create this idea of social Darwinism, right? Extending survival yeah. of the fittest to humanity and, and social mm-hmm. uh, uh, situations. So, yeah, I'm sure that some of this makes sense. But the only thing I thought it was worth talking about in this subsection uh, was where he's talking about marriage, right? And we know Republicans today love to talk about marriage. Traditional uh, so, marriage. Yes, yes. And he writes about what Hitler said about marriage. And he says... Let's listen to what Hitler actually says in Mein Kampf about the purpose of marriage. Marriage cannot be an end in itself, but must serve the one higher goal, the increase and preservation of the species and the race. This alone is its meaning and its task. So marriage is not primarily for uniting people who love each other. 
nor is it for giving them the joys of parenthood. Rather, marriage exists largely to serve the collective goals of the state and the species. And I love this so much because if you listen to the oral arguments in the Obergefell v. Hodges case, mm-hmm. this is the argument that the government was trying to make against gay marriage. This is the argument they were the making. The same as the, uh, that, the, that, the Nazi that argument? The, that the goal of marriage is to have to encourage people to procreate for economic purposes and for the country. That that was the purpose of marriage. I just love yeah, that so much. That's not, it's, that's not good. It's delicious, Dinesh. Chef's kiss. Delicious. Chef's kiss. <laughs> cool. Was there anything well, else good. in this subsection you thought worth um, talking about? I don't think so. I think, yeah, it was... Uh, there's not a lot there, I don't think. Yeah, and um, so the last subsection in this chapter is called covering its tracks which I, shouldn't it have been their tracks did he did you, did you get that same feeling because covering yeah, its tracks i don't know seems like like there's something i don't know this, what i don't know who's covering whose tracks i don't know i don't know but this whole point of this subsection is of course the big lie all these mm. progressives T.M. hiding their connection to the nazis a progressive dinesh needs to trademark that too hiding yeah. their connection to the nazis it's all a big conspiracy. It's really this uh-huh. amazing conspiracy theory bullshit. I imagine, yeah. just like we had with uh, uh, Sean Hannity and his wall full of red yarn and <laughs> photographs, in Dinesh's bedroom, he has a similar wall with Margaret Sanger and Hitler. Mussolini's not on there because we know he loves Mussolini. Yeah. We, we learned that in the last chapter. Yeah. You need to go check it out. He loves Mussolini. Mussolini. not connected to anyone. Just, uh, just no. literally. Mussolini, just like, turns out, great guy, according to Dinesh. Just a shrine, just a shrine to Mussolini in the corner <laughs> that's separate from the rest of it. Um, so he talks about Richard Hofstetter here, who's actually a mm-hmm. great author. Um, very interesting guy. He wrote, uh, I told, I quoted from the American political tradition the other day, which is a book <laughs> that he wrote. It's like a, have you read that? It's, it's like no, a foundational no, text. How have you not read that? It's like a foundational text of political thinking. Yeah, but not, I'm anyway. not a political theory guy. Well, I'm a political okay, science guy. Sure, sure, sure. There's no such thing as political science. Yes, there is. Mm-mm. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, he, he, he says Hofstetter was a leftist who had once been a member of the communist party. Hofstetter said he joined because quote, I don't like capitalism. Even after breaking with the communist party, he retained his animus. I hate capitalism and everything that goes with it. (laughs) Hofstetter's big lie scheme involved redefining social Darwinism as the philosophical foundation of free market or laissez-faire capitalism, which when you think about it, it kind of is. Laissez-faire capitalism is literally survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. that's that's what it is it's like leaving things to the to be and whatever happens happens it's literally sera sera. it's survival of the fittest so i don't know why he's criticizing him for saying that because that's definitely true yeah no so i i just looked him up and i realized i have read the paranoid style in american politics uh which is a work of his but uh yeah so he goes on and on about hoster he really has a gripe with Hofstetter. Wow, he's because, a communist. That's yeah, why. <laughs> and according to him, Hofstetter is somehow instrumental in covering up the fact that the Democrats and the Nazis have these connections with eugenics and all this, uh, and that social Darwinism is entirely a left-wing thing, something mm-hmm. that's never been uttered by anyone right-wing at all, of course. No, We've never not. heard that, even though I've heard my conservative parents echo social Darwinism all the mm-hmm. fucking time. I've heard um, that from a lot of conservative people. Yeah, and, and this is great because he says he's talking about how Hofstetter, you know, show his book shows that social Darwinism was just, you know, uh, uh, 
very, very instrumental with laissez-faire capitalism, and I think the libertarians would definitely agree. Um, he says, nor did Hofstadter bother to survey American businessmen. Had he done so, he would have surely discovered that most of them had never heard of social Darwinism. Well, really? Because yeah, it's, it's like a natural phenomenon also. Like, most animals probably haven't d- heard of Darwin, but it doesn't mean he, d- like, he didn't accurately describe yeah, what but was if happening. We're, if we're talking about, like, college-educated businessmen, right, most of them would have heard of social Darwinism. Because, it, like yeah. I said, it was one of those academic but, fads. But that's, that's true, but you also don't have to have heard of something for it to exist. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, All right. Anyway, so whatever. moving we on, go, moving on. We then go on to talk about abortion being oh, genocide. The so last two fun. pages. The last two pages of this chapter are abortion is genocide. That is Literally. the yeah. ending. The point he's going to end on, and he writes here, of course. Uh, While Margaret Margaret Sanger was an avid avid eugenicist, today Planned Parenthood celebrates her as a champion of choice. Dripping with sarcasm. Again, uh-huh. one is hard-pressed to find references to eugenics in Planned Parenthood brochures featuring Sanger's pioneering role in the organization. This is all part of the big lie. The real Sanger opposed choice. Why? I'm just, I'm just wondering. Why would you expect Planned Parenthood brochures to have eugenics information yeah, in them? I'm obviously. just wondering. Because, I mean, because it's silly. And then we get onto the best bit. Today... More than 50 million unborn children have been killed in killed in America in the aftermath of the Supreme Court's the Republican Supreme Court's Roe versus Wade ruling <coughs> in 1973. Mm. Uh, let's be honest, this is genocide on a scale that exceeds the Nazi Holocaust. What is abortion other than euthanasia for infants? Uh, quite a lot, actually. Not yeah. uh, most <laughs> most not that is is no, the most obvious. No, it's not answer. that. It's not yeah. that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, if you walk into a restaurant with three babies, they bring you high chairs and sippy cups. If you walk into a restaurant with three fetuses, they call the cops because yeah. there's something wrong with you. <laughs> there's a fucking difference between a baby and a fetus. That's yeah. So anyway, we end on popular sovereignty is a pro-choice ideology, which is weird. Um, yeah, that was the weirdest part of it for me, is this, yeah. he goes back to Stephen Douglas, who he talked about in the last chapter, right? He brought him up for like a paragraph to just throw some slag at Stephen Douglas and the idea of popular sovereignty, which was an attempt to save the union. Yeah, and he was like, oh yeah, pro-choice is the same as that, because yeah, should be Yeah, this is that fucking like English lit major analogy bullshit I hate. Yeah, it's dumb. It's extremely <laughs> dumb. Jesus Christ. That's, anyway... Again, Again, that's his, like, big closer. It's really, he, like, chooses really weird things to end on all the time. I know. I, and I, I want to read, because I've been reading basically the last few sentences of every uh, chapter, because it's, it's well, it's not a summary of what he talked about. Uh, it's that melodramatic, you know, everyone thinks they need to end their chapter on a fucking melodramatic note, and so Dinesh, mm-hmm. of course, does. Uh, so he writes, The unborn child of today, just like the slave of old, is considered a tool for someone else's benefit and convenience. He or she is a non-person, or at least an entirely disposable person. In this respect, the lethal and dehumanizing Nazi mindset lives on. (laughs) And that is the end of chapter six. Next week, next week we have chapter seven, which is entitled American Führers.
about your grandmother's book club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.